Welcome to the Public Services Reform Podcast from the Centre for Market and Public Organisation. My name is Ramesh Vitalingam and today I'm talking to Professor Paul Grout and we're going to be talking about public-private partnerships or PPPs. Paul, I wonder if you could start off by explaining what a public-private partnership is. To some extent it is literally what the name says, it's a partnership between the public and the private sector. Historically, at least in Western Europe uh, and a lot of OECD countries, uh, public services have been provided by the public sector. In the 80s and 90s there was a huge wave of privatisation, often of public services, particularly in the UK, Uh, and this is been quite successful and very appropriate for certainly telecoms uh, and certainly energy services. But for a lot of services, you just couldn't contemplate uh, privatizing them completely. Uh, The public sector model, the idea you just create a public agency and just know it will do the right thing is no longer very fashionable and and no longer believable. There are always incentive difficulties. And so for lots of services, people have looked towards a partnership that captures some of the benefits of the private sector, uh, but retaining power and control uh, within the public sector. And the standard model that people have used traditionally now around the world, indeed the IMF has described the PPP as a wave that is sweeping the world. They described this recently. They are becoming very popular models. The standard model is that the private sector will provide the infrastructure, maybe a road, a hospital, etc. And what is different about public-private partnership is that the private sector actually builds, let's say, the road, and the government pay for the use of the road. And so it's a partnership in the sense that the private sector are building and owning the assets, and this often applies also to hospitals and schools, and the public sector is then buying in theory, the services of the asset that they are then using with the doctors, with the teachers, to deliver the final service to the public. So you mentioned that this kind of, in a way, came out of the privatisation of the 80s and 90s. Is is that really where the roots of public-private partnerships are? Not completely. The recent wave and the attraction of public-private partnerships has, I think, followed from the uh, somewhat disputable but to a large extent, success of the the privatisation programme around the world. Uh, And so there's been, people have been looking for the sort of model that could be applied to to other services. But having said that, it isn't, uh, it's not a British phenomenon as people often think it was. It hasn't actually been led by England. It's been going on all around the world uh, in a lot of the developing countries. And indeed, you can go back to 150 years and find the programs when railways and some of the water programs were built in Latin America and other places that are really very, very similar, if not almost identical to the modern PPP, public-private partnership, or as the early models in the UK were called, P- PFI. I think one of the reasons that people think Uh, being slightly tongue-in-cheek. One of the reasons that people think that the British invented this is because we actually gave it the name of Public uh, Finance Initiative and then later the PPP. Uh, We pushed the model quite hard, but really I think quite a good analogy is to think of what with sport. We weren't the first people in the world necessarily to kick footballs around and we weren't the first people to hit little balls with sticks. But what we were jolly good at is naming things and writing down the rules. And so actually in soccer, in golf, in rugby union, it was the Brits that wrote down the rules and therefore they somehow have now become associated as if it was their game rather than a world game that um, we just happened to partake in. 
I wonder if you could go into a little more detail on on the rationale for for using PPPs. Why 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 are governments increasingly enthusiastic about this? What why is it a wave that's sweeping the world? Um, there are two reasons, I think. One uh, quite political, and the other economic. If we start with the economic argument, um, how, how the model is supposed to work is the private sector is supposed to be very good at controlling costs. There's a long history of public projects being cost overrun and being delivered late. It's certainly not the case that all PPPs aren't falling into that box. But the idea was to try and create an incentive from the private, for the private sector to deliver and get, solve some of, of these problems. So what happens is by paying for the service instead of, say, paying for the road. So in a typical road contract, the government will pay the private sector consortium for every vehicle that uses the road for, say, 25 years, which is typically the length of the contract. The private sector will then build a particular piece of road that they've been asked to build and then will be paid over the 25 years. The good argument, why is this considered to be a good idea? Well, if the road is perpetually being mended and vehicles are choosing to use a different route, then the consortium just doesn't make as much money. So obviously they have an incentive then to build a road that's built to last for the 25 years, whereas if you were just buying a road for the public sector, there's clearly maybe an incentive for the builder just to get the money as quickly as possible and run. The other argument, of course, is if you're paying for the roads using the road, then that road should be finished as quickly as possible so the money comes in as quickly as possible. So the economic argument is there are strong incentives on the private sector to, in the case of the roads, build the road early, efficiently, but build a quality that will last and keep the money coming in. The other argument, the political one, is actually very strong as well, which is that it's the private sector that are building the road. So the Chancellor doesn't have to put his hand in his pocket today to get a road built that will last for 25 years. It's being paid over the 25 years. So it's a mechanism of modernising the infrastructure, schools, hospitals, roads, railways, without having to pay up front. And this globally has actually been extremely popular with politicians, as you can imagine. And it's not always bad. It's, this is typically portrayed as just a bad thing, that it's politicians getting things on the cheap that they pass on to future generations, which, of course, in part is true. But on the other hand, politicians are always reluctant to sign off big, expensive infrastructure projects because the cost appears now and the benefit appears to voters 10, 15 years down the line. So to some extent, the political argument makes people want to do this is partly correcting for a problem that sits on the other way. Now, I'm not saying this is the best solution, but at least it's a p potential solution for a problem that is difficult to solve in other ways. So essentially, these are long-term contracts between the government and a variety of private sector uh, contractors, and they can last for 20 years, 25 years, perhaps even longer. And they, that, that's, that's a long time commitment. Well, there must be some serious issues in, in putting these things together at the, at the inception. No, that's right. It is. Because you're buying the output, uh, say, the traffic on the road or the building, the hospital, for 25 years, you need a very long contract and a very tight contract, I should add, for obvious reasons. And there are clearly some problems. The two biggest problems, I think, both globally and, and within the UK, one is a renegotiation of the contract. This has turned out to be an enormous problem, particularly in developing countries. 
75% of all water contracts in, the Latin, Ameri in Latin America were renegotiated in the first few years, and 55% of all transport contracts. So although you sign a 25-year contract, within quite a short period of time, this has been renegotiated. And in the UK, this is uh, happening as well, slightly less dramatically, but the issue is, is still there. Renegotiation takes place for various reasons. In developing countries, a lot of it is to do with corruption, politicians change, the new politicians want a slice of the action, things of that sort. In the UK, what has happened is the renegotiation has tended to be the result of the government wanting something different out of the project. And, of course, then the private sector will then want some return for delivering something that the government either forgot to put into the project or now realises it wants that it didn't want before. Which leads us really quite quickly to the other point, which is that <clears throat> you can make, if you're successful as a private sector supplier, you can do very well out of these contracts, because obviously for that 25 years you are the monopoly supplier. If the government wants something, then you're basically the only person to supply the change, and that puts you in a strong position. The economic theory is that that isn't a problem in itself because the profitability is then extracted through a bidding, a good bidding procurement process up front. So essentially procurement is really critical. And what has happened is procurement hasn't been as good as it should have been. Again, in developing countries, this is often more to do with corruption than anything else. But it's been a big problem in the developed countries. England has suffered badly from this. And part of it is a fundamental problem in the way that procurement is now viewed. In, if you think of a public sector delivery model, procurement is not a hugely serious job. It's the managers of the process as it gets, you know, you think of a hospital, you build a hospital, you buy the drawing pins, you buy the needles, you buy all that stuff to go in. But it's the people who run the hospital and all this that are the really kind of serious uh, people. If you say privatised a complete hospital, then actually the only thing that's left in the public sector anymore is procurement. And that now is absolutely critical because that determines the success of the whole process. So procurement has suddenly become an enormously important job in the public sector, whereas it wasn't viewed as uh, such before. And so to some extent, you could say you've got the wrong people in, in the job at the moment. There's definitely a, a learning process. And there is a slightly more fundamental problem, which is that if you're a health authority, um, you may be buying drawing pins and needles and things like that for several years and then all of a sudden you're going to procure a half a billion pound hospital and then once that's done you're going to go back to the sort of more day-by-day -day procurement. And so that has turned out to be a problem. Expertise has turned out to be a big problem as well. So I, I think those are probably the two biggest things that have emerged. And as I say, they're not just British problems, these are global, whether you're a developing country or an advanced country. So what do we know about how uh, well these PPPs are, are turning out? I mean, we've suggested that in certain quarters there's a knee-jerk reaction against the very concept of a public-private partnership in the same way perhaps there was 20 years ago against the idea of privatisation. But what do we know about uh, you know, how effective they are? Are they giving us good infrastructure? Are we getting good roads, good hospitals, good schools out of them? And are we getting good value uh, as taxpayers? Right. Um, it's certainly hasn't got rid of some of the horror stories. There, there are lots of traditional horror stories with public delivery 
And the PPPs are still prone to these. And as we know from London Underground and things like that, there's some really big, difficult cases. But I think it would have been rather silly to imagine that it would solve all these problems. One of the things that is very clear is, on average, it has improved delivery. About um, half, in the UK, half the hospitals under public delivery were at least two months late. And the evidence looking at uh, the PPP hospitals is about 80% of them have been delivered on time or early. So that's um, quite a good improvement. This uh, is also being found, uh, a European investment bank, when they've looked at lots of transport projects throughout Europe, have again found that there's been uh, a definite improvement of things being delivered early. Uh, the cost overruns and the endless dragging on of projects has not been there. Unfortunately, of course, that doesn't come free. And uh, it looks like uh, the public sector, in inverted commas, has to pay more for uh, this. Uh, the European Investment Bank, on its huge survey of roads, found that on average, at the point when the final contract was put to bed, public-private partnership roads were about 19% more expensive than the public equivalent. But of course, we know on average the public equivalent is more likely to come in late and more expensive because that's what the evidence suggests. And indeed, interestingly, the history of projects in Europe on road projects look like they come in around about 19 or 20% more expensive on average. So these two numbers seem as if they, they cancel each other out. Uh, so at the end of the day, the benefit of these things will depend a lot on the quality of the service and there isn't enough evidence yet to suggest which way that, that will go. Uh, and it depends how much we value things coming in early. If that's very important to get these hospitals, get these roads built on time more than they would have done before, then it's actually looking very good. If you think that's not very important, then you may think PPPs are, are slightly more expensive. So the jury is still out? The jury is still out, yeah. Paul Grout, thank you very much.